1: Hello. Hello. welcome to (laughs) close reads welcome to the halloween the the day after (laughs) (laughs) welcome to close reads i'm david kern and i'm joined by angelina stanford and tim mcintosh and graham Pittman's in the room laughing at us um
2: it's gotten heated out here folks we decided (laughs) to finally press record we've been going for like two hours on this conversation (laughs)
1: so it being the day after halloween we have been arguing
2: We've got the best classical minds in America on this question. Well, we've been right arguing
1: now. about Halloween candy, so Tim, well, I'm going to turn this. I'm going to ask, flip this question over to you because okay. we've been talking about it already, and um, I'm going to ask it this way to you: Is a Reese's Peanut Butter Cup a Halloween candy?
0: Does it come in a single? Are we talking a Reese's Peanut Butter Cup in a single wrapper or in the dual wrapper?
2: You can define it like you want.
0: In a single wrapper, yes. In a dual wrapper, no.
1: I buy that. Now, here's, the, here's my question. Can, is, is Halloween candy exclusively seasonal? Like, when you say Halloween candy, why do you bother saying Halloween? Because Reese's Peanut Butter Cup is just around. It's available all year round.
0: And it's a universal good also. Right. I think it, that's why I appeal to the wrapping as a central issue in this debate about Halloween candy. America I buy must this. realize I buy this. that dual-wrapped Reese's butter. peanut butter cups are not a Halloween candy. Only the solo-wrapped cups are Halloween candy. My okay. opponents assert that I believe... <laughs> Go on. <laughs>
2: Gone. it's okay wait so i'm gonna eat a peanut it's butter got, cup if it's on.
1: a if it's a reese's peanut butter cup like a regular one but it's wrapped all by itself it's suitable for halloween candy but if it's Absolutely. a two pack or a three pack or a four that's not halloween candy but not i believe suitable. that's not
2: a halloween candy david i believe that's just a fun size
1: that's just a fun size or a super size
2: uh, available year round for fun yeah
1: well but are they available year round because to me yes. if you, you can't call something that's available year round halloween candy
2: Okay, so this was the whole debate at lunch. Okay, like candy David argued not available that candy corn was the best Halloween candy by virtue of the fact that it's only David. available at Halloween, and all these other candies are candy, but they're not Halloween candy. So then we tried to make a list of what are just plain old Halloween candy, and our list was only candy corn. So <laughs> no, by no, no, virtue no. of default, no, it true. is the
1: best. There were those ran- Graham mentioned those random ones that are like shaped like toffee or whatever, and yes. like they're randomly wrapped in random colors, and they have no—it's they like they're basically off-brand or whatever. And They don't
2: even have a name. Okay, but still Candy Corn would top that. So then I said that if I was the owner of Candy Corn, that I would have all the packaging say the number one Halloween candy in the world. That would be the packaging.
1: So, (laughs) Tim, do do you disagree, though, that Halloween, for something to be called specifically Halloween candy, like, I don't understand why we're not just calling it, what's your favorite candy? Like, I don't. The point of the discussion doesn't make sense to me. Okay, if but, you're just adding the uh, word Halloween. But
2: see, okay, okay, So, but what if, what if this is the take? What if when I say my favorite Halloween candy, I say my favorite candy that I receive on the day of Halloween? What if that's my definition?
1: That's Any fine because you're story? just saying what's my favorite candy
2: that I get at Halloween <laughs>
1: and Christmas and Easter and, and Monday through
0: Wednesday Friday
2: when I go to the grocery store. I feel like I need a okay, something. Okay, okay.
0: If you go for a sleigh ride. <laughs> Which on of December course everybody who does. That's classic does. Halloween. Yes. Go ahead. Yes. Over the river and through uh, the woods. If you do that on I don't know, let's say October twelfth, and it's uh-huh. not snowing, it's maybe a bit brisk, but you're, 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 you're going to sleigh with your slay no snow. Yeah, there's no. Oh yeah, that's a little bit of a problem. There has been <laughs> snow. <laughs> it's just not falling. It it's, it's October twelfth. Okay. It's it's, it's crisp, a but ride. not cold. I don't think that you're going to, you're just going to say, I went for a sleigh ride. But if you go on December 22nd, 23rd, 24th, 25th, you're going to say, I went on a Christmas sleigh ride. There is no difference in the sleigh except for its proximity to Christmas. My enemies assert that I believe... (laughs)
2: You've really been taking a lot of Greek history classes. Yeah, the metaphor, now. Yeah,
1: really, the, like... metaphor the, the the violence inherent in the
0: metaphors. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> We're enemies now. Okay, go on. Um, I was done with my it. point. I just want to bring it back to my favorite Halloween candy, <laughs> which is.
2: What a great Wait, wait. If you've been if you have a drink in your hand, put it down before you hear it, Tim yeah. say this. I also a, want to sit down.
1: Don't take a sip of your coffee. Graham Tim is, is shaking famous. his
2: head in disbelief because <laughs> Tim really disappointed us, folks. Okay. okay. Like we just we, we're still not recovered don't, from this horrible shocking, shocking right. personal revelation.
0: Share the news, Tim. Break it to us. My favorite Halloween candy is you mean candy. You mean your favorite candy. <laughs> 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 that is, is also
2: available on Halloween
0: the bido honey it's it's David, savory it. it's the sweet wah, wah, wah. it's delectable it's made completely of all natural products with no artificial sugars and it'll pull your fillings out it will pull your fillings out wait
2: tim is your second favorite candy trail mix
0: <laughs> <laughs> it is <laughs>
2: That's what he gets in his Halloween basket. Yeah. I just scoop up a handful
0: of yeah. trail mix. Tim,
1: Tim it likes right it when there. someone drops goldfish into his Halloween basket. Uh, oh, yeah.
0: Wait, people don't do that, do they?
1: <laughs> oh, yes, they do. Goldfish and pretzels. My kids got goldfish and pretzels. No, no way. way. I mean, that's, that's not not exclusively, but definitely more than I would support. <laughs>
2: like an actual live fish?
1: <laughs> no, yeah. no, no, no. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> it's t- it's dead now. Yes. Um, Wait, I have not
0: heard. Like a mini heard. pack of goldfish or pretzels. What – Angelina, David, Graham, what are your famous Halloween – what are your favorite – what are your favorite candies that are given <laughs> near the holiday Halloween?
2: <laughs> I feel like David's also going to be like – come December, I'm going to be like, here's my favorite wrapped box to give friends around this season in which I decorate a tree. Like, yeah, that's right, I'm gonna right, have right to I know. Because David's going to be like, how are socks a Christmas gift? You can get socks anytime. <laughs>
0: David is so, no, but, so scholastic. But I support.
1: I support the idea of packaging being important here. I've been saying this. Like, you get Skittles, they'll have Halloween themed Skittles. Reese's Peanut Butter Cup has the pumpkin one. Yes. Like packaging and seasonal branding, I support this part of the entry to the conversation.
2: You do. You do. This is true. At lunch, he de- he supported the idea of the jack o' lantern. Uh, peanut butter I also am generally. willing to admit the
1: conversation is complete nonsense, and we've wasted seven minutes of a perfectly good podcast. <laughs> like. wasted, I,
2: wasted, David are solved one of life's mysteries.
1: Okay, my, Tim, to answer your question, I have I, we decided this at we talked about our five favorite candies in general. Okay. These are the candies that I would like to get in my basket at Halloween.
0: Um, Toblerone. Oh my goodness! Yes, yes, amen.
1: Um, okay, Toblerone, black licorice. No, oh the David. But, but I understand no. That this is uh, This is the weird Everybody's got one weird thing Like people like bitter honey Black licorice <laughs> is mine I like it really salty like, just,
2: just so our audience knows Before the show Started recording Tim and I both said That licorice was a candy That made us vomit So now uh, David's no, like This is my a, top two Right here There's a
1: lot Well but see I come from Hardy German stock And my grandpa My grandpa so would you, bring it back So you don't have taste buds It's It's um, I like it salty There's these fish That are like salty On the outside And then sweet on the inside It's this great combination It's not not all black licorice is the same. Oh, I, I, um, I believe that. Sweet tarts, because I love sour. Yeah. Um, Lifesavers, just traditional good old Lifesavers. And in my, my pure childhood favorite candy is Box of Nerds. Just want a good old Box of Nerds. Just pour it down when I'm I on a drive. I feel like
2: David Kern is the poster boy for, like, town USA right now. Like, <laughs> really? Yeah. I like Lifesavers, because that's American.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm not, like, a huge chocolate fan, but I like Toblerone because it's got, like, crunch in it. Yeah, like I don't. I mean, I like chocolate, fine, but with I don't crave chocolate. I crave the, the sweet you crave the crunch stuff that rides your teeth. Just say it, David. Yeah. You crave the, the crunch, crunch or just right? the sour? Yeah. Okay. So, Angelina, Angelina. Lawyers.
2: No, you know I don't believe in hierarchies. Don't ask me to say the no, like top five. But just give me a couple. Okay. So yeah. The one unifying moment of today's lunch, when we were passionately stabbing each other with the cutlery at the table, over (laughs) questions like "What is Halloween candy?" We we
1: were sticking bed honey in each other's heads.
2: (laughs) Chopsticks were flying. But the one unify—it was a beautiful, it was a beautiful moment of unity in which we all looked at each other and said, "A frozen Reese's peanut butter cup is God's gift to mankind." And yeah, Yeah, it's not
1: my top five, but it's universally awesome. Yeah,
2: amazing. And in particular, and this is why. We all, again, in unity, had issues with the, um, with the jack-o'-lantern Reese's and the Christmas tree Reese's because there's no hard edge, okay? Why did the Reese's Company not understand that the hard edge is the beautiful thing of this candy? And it has to be frozen, and you got to have that crunch followed by that cream. You should Hello? have to
1: peel it out of that brown wrapper yes. that you accidentally eat sometimes because you forget
2: What? And sometimes there's two wrappers, and you cheer like it's your lucky
0: day. <laughs> like like a really full clover.
1: Like, but Double see, rapper. when I get two wrappers, I just think that it's supposed to have come with <laughs> the unprepared mix filling that I was supposed to do myself. Uh-oh. like they gave me the extra wrapper <laughs> to make my own, but so then they forgot. So you look at that and you're, you're like
2: DIY, yeah, DIY
1: Reese's Peanut Butter. Exactly. You and Matt Bianco also supported the dark chocolate Milky Way.
2: Oh yes, yes. Neither one of us like a regular Milky Way. Really like the dark chocolate Milky Way.
1: Okay, I'm gonna go through some Tim. We need your We need yays or nays on some of these. Caramello, yay! Okay, Graham, he says yay for that. Um, don't care. <laughs> he says Graham, don't care.
2: We can't recover Reese, from the bit of honey.
1: Reese's pieces, yay! Does not have chocolate in it, interestingly, but not real, not like chocolate. I like a Reese's pieces. Um, I do. Payday, yay! Tommy not
0: Wait, oh, I didn't hear it. Sorry, just, David. Don't <laughs> I thought he was
2: thinking.
0: Dummy bears. Yay.
1: Uh, uh, Twizzlers.
0: Red? Yes. Yes. Yay. Okay. Red vines. Uh, no. Not crazy Tootsie about them. Yay. Rolos. Yay.
2: Oh, thank goodness Twix. you're redeeming yourself Yay. here.
0: Yay. I'm d- discovering Snickers. something about myself, you guys. Caramel. You guys, you like caramel? Yeah. yeah.
2: Yes, me too. Chocolate and peanut butter, and chocolate and caramel. That's yeah. my thing. Don't mess around. Don't put nuts okay. in that candy bar. I will uh, cut you. Uh,
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, so no Snickers.
2: No. Ooh, okay. I like Snickers. All right,
1: here's a big. Here's one then. Um, what are those lollipops with the the um the, apple and the caramel? Caramel apple lollipop, Caramel apple.
2: Pops? It's been a while. Oh, I've never heard of this.
0: From nostalgia's sake, summer. I'll say yes.
1: Okay. Um, Laffy Taffy. No. Okay. And then the final one I've is um, Almond Joy.
0: Yay. Ooh, I love an Almond okay. Joy. Yeah. You know too. what the thing know. is about Almond Joys? They've got nuts. Mounds don't.
1: Matt Bianco just texted. I thought this was a podcast on Murder in the Orient Express, and I texted back <laughs> since when. <laughs> Oh. Um, <laughs> well,
2: I already said I'd murder he, someone he, for the wrong kind of candy, so I feel like that's a good segue. Exactly. I'd, I'd stab him.
1: Well, ostensibly we originally were here to talk about murder on the Orient Express. But then
2: it was Halloween. But then and it candy was Halloween. Needed yeah. to be discussed. We had
1: to have a themed episode.
2: It started all nice and friendly until I asked him what his favorite candy was and then he ripped all of our hearts out in one fell swoop.
1: I got to say though, when I was a kid, I told them before this, when I was a kid, uh in Sunday school when we memorized um bible verses we would get candy and the options were like bit of honey and something else that i didn't like so i would eat the bit of honey and i actually liked it except that it ruined my teeth but um i would but you had to eat them a little like you couldn't eat very much of it at one time so i'd be like sitting in the church service like trying to sneak candy and then my teeth would get stuck together like so then i'm like <laughs> burr, burr.
0: i
2: actually did like bit of honey when i was a kid so but I'm let's like, not
0: pretend it's did. like
2: did you also like mary janes tim
0: I don't remember having Mary Jane's.
2: Well, Mary Jane's were a whole lot like uh, a bit of honey, except it was, it was soft and peanut buttery.
0: Graham, the old people
1: are talking now. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Well,
2: back when I used to ride the buggy into back town, in Mary Jane for a nickel, it was great.
1: Back in my day we used to walk uphill both ways. We'd use a penny to buy seven pounds. No, of my peppermint. dad would say
2: things like, I used to couldn't go to the movies for a nickel, and then I'd cry to think about how <laughs> robbed I was. Like how many movies I could have seen.
1: <laughs> well, le-
2: Now I'm like I can pay speak- my electric bill or my kids and I can go to the movies.
1: Speaking of movies, Marjorie on the Orient Express is coming out soon. That's so right. so don't no forget- electric bill
2: this month.
1: <laughs> That's right. Don't forget that. Uh, next episode, we are going to be doing our Q and a episode. So, uh, send us questions over on Facebook. We'll post
2: a, uh, please no questions about candy.
1: Yeah. And we'll thread, (laughs) uh, we'll post the comments there in the thread and we'll grab some for the next episode and the episode after that will be our movie tie-in episode. So, um, those are the next two episodes coming up after this, but first we are going to discuss part three of murder on the Orient express today. The solution has been presented. Two solutions have been presented. Um, we know who done it. Who who's done it? Who who all who all done it? <laughs>
2: who all done it?
1: Um and who all done did it. Let's let's talk about it. Um Tim. Yes. One of the questions that you were thinking about, or we kept asking you, is whether your perspective on Hercule Poirot. Hercule Poirot. Yeah, exactly. What she said. Uh, whether it changed at all over the course of your reading. And so uh, now that you've finished it, now that you've finished Dan Stevens. Uh, reading on Audible while you drove. Uh-huh. Did your did you draw any new conclusions about his him, he as a character?
0: I did not. I, I feel like he was kind of like a stable, consistent character in my my imagination's view of him. Did not change, and I think part of that is just because he's a trope, right? Like, I mean, do I'm going to take your question in a different direction, David? Do Detectives ever, go, like, did detectives ever go – do detectives ever change? Like do we ever see, oh, this is a moment of growth and foresight and Sherlock Holmes just learned something about himself that he did not know before. Or Hercule Perrault developed so much as a character. Now he's different thanks to this intriguing experience. I don't feel like that's what detectives are supposed to do.
1: Su-
2: Typically not, but I think Lord Peter might be an exception.
0: But this. over the course of a series, more than a single
2: series, book, right? Yes, yes, yes.
1: I suppose that that's because one of the things that a good mystery story demands is like, if if it's true that what what we're going for is that that chaos has been brought to order, mm-hmm. then you need a stable source. Absolutely. And so the the detective is your stable source. The and, the, and the, the a kind of guiding of the
2: outsider too. Yeah. Right. He's the observer right. and a little bit of the. Outsider. In this case,
1: he was the only outsider outside. well i guess the train conductor or whatever but
2: well he was the unexpected addition
1: yeah um one thing that i was thinking about is i mean i i remembered in the end what would happen but i kept what I, the thing i couldn't remember is exactly which people were involved and which people were not oh yeah mm-hmm. so i couldn't remember for example did constantine or book end up being involved in I it i
2: couldn't remember that either and i
1: kept questioning what they were saying, whether they were trying to trick him.
2: No, I did the same thing. I wasn't sure. I remembered that everybody was in on, and I just didn't remember if those yeah. two characters were. No, I agree.
1: Tim, was there anybody that for you was like that where you were, I mean, I guess you hadn't read it before. So the question's not really relevant. Yeah.
0: Well, I was So moving on. Well, but still, um, I'm having a hard time remembering right now. What was the American woman's involvement? The loudmouth.
2: Mrs. Hub- yeah. Mrs. Hubbard. Oh, she was the mother, Linda Arden. That's that, right. That's right. Artist.
0: That's right. Okay was
1: there – okay, when you were listening, who did you suspect the most as you were going along?
0: Um, I did think that the secretary, um, McQueen, had something to do with it. it. Even though I thought he is the most obvious choice, I thought maybe it was going to be kind of a a doubling back to the most obvious choice because he's he shines as the obvious guilty party at the beginning – Then he kind of – his threat is subdued, and I thought maybe she's going to say it's him, and she will have kind of like cloaked his – our suspicions of him, but then she's going to bring him back. So I remember being – thinking McQueen's probably got a hand in it in some way.
1: Is there a point at which you started to suspect that it was all of them?
0: I think – I don't know that I ever suspected it was all of them, but I certainly suspected that it was more than one person. It just seemed like there was some sort of um, team effort. And I think I also thought that the Englishman, the, um, the uh, what is his Colonel name? Harvest. Yeah. I thought that he yeah, was Colonel involved Harvest. also. And thus I assumed that his American girlfriend was involved.
1: So was there a
0: aha moment for you?
1: having never read it before, when he revealed, oh, it was all of you.
0: I think when I got the impression that McQueen could have kind of coordinated everything, that he could have been kind of like a linchpin in the the setup, that's when I thought, oh, it's all of them. And I think I got it probably like two lines before Poirot finally says it.
1: Yeah. I've been trying I've been uh I was trying to think I was trying to identify clues throughout yeah. where he drops little hints. And I didn't I didn't honestly I didn't find too many until the third part, did you, Angelina?
2: The first part when uh he examines the letters that Ratchet got, one of the letters was written by twelve different people. Each person wrote a different word. And I was like, oh ah, uh, she's
1: telling us the very yeah, beginning yeah,
0: yeah. that 12 yeah.
2: people did it and they each, each took a turn
1: Yeah, there definitely were some fun little things Some, you know, industrious listener could probably go through and find all the little references to 12 yeah. or multiple people mm-hmm. There are definitely things he drops throughout And it's funny because, well, do you, do you guys think that Poirot is as good a detective as he says he is? Like, do you think that he lives up to his own?
2: Oh, I thought he did in this book, yeah why because it's all a mental puzzle and he just has to think it out and and um i i i love the way he thought about it and and did the what is the only possible solution that makes everything make sense even though it seems impossible and then once he did that he said he was able to figure out where everybody fit
1: into the puzzle yeah he, he wasn't worried about whether or not it made sense at first
2: right like right. if
1: this is the case is there a way to make it make sense
2: which you know one person had on on our close reads page i think was trying to make a joke but it was it was actually really true she said you know she felt like she was in one of those logic puzzles you know like you know if 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 mary is wearing a green hat if george mm-hmm. is carrying an umbrella you know one of those things um but I think that's actually how, how he did it, right? He, he makes a chart of the evidence, and he starts going the if this, then that. You know, if this is the explanation. So he probably just went through each person. If this person is the killer, then do, do the clues all make sense? If this person is the killer, do the clues make sense? And then gets to the part. And I, I think he kind of got hung up um, in a way that helped him unravel the puzzle and the fact that everybody had a perfect alibi. By hmm. by being alibi by someone that they didn't have a connection. To. He
1: had to put he had to like pair them off in a way.
2: Right. So he had to figure out that there has to be a reason why someone would lie for someone else.
1: Mm-hmm. And then who was the one that was not involved? They said they didn't. Was it the the countess? No, countess was no, involved. She was involved.
2: Oh yes, yes, yes. I'm sorry. I was thinking the princess. No, the countess. The one that you would actually suspect she was the one not involved. Yeah,
1: her husband was involved. Yeah, but she was not. She really
2: did t- take the uh, sleeping draught.
1: Yeah. And and. And then the go to sleep. M- the conductor. The conductor was who's the father it. of the.
2: Right, right. The
1: one the girl that committed suicide. And you
2: know, and one of the things that I, I thought was interesting that Agatha Christie did um, because uh, Dorothy Sayers does this in a, in a Lord Peter novel. Um, and I talked about this, I think, in the article that I wrote, that in a detective story, nothing is random, including things like storms and uh, weird events where you just happen to be in the right place at the right time. And there's a Lord Peter short story where he calls this like random, I was just in the right place at the right time. He calls it an act of providence and says there really is no random thing. You know, God put me here so that I could unravel this. And I think that there's that sense also with, with our, our detective in this story. I mean, it's random Two things are random, that he ends up getting the call back, so he ends up being the 12th passenger, even though they had the fake passenger. And then the storm is the other act. I mean, it's an act of God, right? It's an act of God that makes their plan not be able to go through, so he's able to figure it out.
1: So this is a... The more interesting part of this conversation is not really who did it, so much as the final ending, Hmm. I think. And this... When you add that to the equation, I think makes it really interesting. You're talking about the question because of what guilt, is,
0: David? Or, or the, the well, kind yeah, of I, jury oh, finding sure, of, of justice? Yeah, yeah.
1: Yes. So what, if you have these act of God coincidences or whatever you want to call them for the sake of conversation, this act of providence um, that causes Porto to be there and causes the train to be stopped—
2: so their original plan doesn't work,
1: right? Their original plan doesn't work. It kind of becomes this like bottle where there it's it's possible for them to have gotten caught with all those two things they couldn't have gotten caught. But then he catches them and figures it out, and then in the end he lets them go. Um, what does that say about what she's saying about about what Christy is saying about you know perhaps providence, but certainly justice as well? Because she creates the scenario where these things have to happen for them to get caught. But then, in a way, Poirot wastes these th- these acts of providence by freeing the people that he was there. He wastes them or David? allowing them to go free. Well, I'm saying you could th- you could That's view it. it that way. Like he, they happen, and the only way they could get caught is by right. these things happening. But then he catches them, solves it, and then lets them go. So I'm saying, is he wasting? I guess the question is, is he wasting those acts of providence? And then then there's just the age old question: should should he have done that? which we could argue to were blue in the face. I'd love to hear your perspectives on that.
0: I'd love the second question. I will abstain from the first question because I, I don't know what I think about that. I wonder if Angelina has got thoughts about it. Well,
1: We'll come back to that then. Let's Tim, what do you think? Should he have, was he, was he right to let them go?
0: I think that we are supposed to take it for granted that the jury trial was completely botched. Aren't we supposed to take that for granted? That the Cassetti's trial was
2: yes, there was an an injustice injustice there. I think they do say that. Um,
0: His
2: guilt is clearly established.
0: His guilt is clearly established, and I think that Poirot accepts this. It's not just the reader that accepts it, but I think Poirot accepts it. And I think by kind of personally taking justice into his hands and absolving everyone it's basically a revenge killing that's just i found that to be very neat and i don't mean neat as in cool clever neato i thought it was tidy and i thought it was and i thought it was right um it it made me think i'm going to derail us again it made me think of this wonderful um short story called the killing in which a a man has killed his wife and the father of the wife and his friend take justice in their own hands. They made a movie out of it. It's a dark and really compelling short story. That felt really ominously, somehow strangely unjust. But this, on the other hand, feels just.
2: I, I I agree with you. I think that that Christie's intention is for this to feel like justice, which I think is a separate question of is it just, right? Um, so I, I think the way she has framed it with it being twelve killers, that they say they're they're being a jury, that this is this is justice. It's interestingly that that they do it in a way that not no one person knows who delivered the fatal blow, mm-hmm. um, and so. I think if you take this community idea that that we say – or that I argue that a detective story is, you know, shows a community who's been threatened and isolated and then comes back together, right? So so what I argue is that in a detective story at the beginning, whatever, the crime comes and that disrupts the community and then as this crime is resolved, it brings the community back together. We've got an interesting play on that because what we have here is the original murder by Cassetti of Daisy Armstrong is what fragmented the community, right? Destroys a family and then has all this ripple effect to all these other families. And then that community comes back together to to bring the justice, right? And so she's 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 got multiple levels going on. At the very beginning of the story, um para, you know, he he makes the comment our, our detective makes the comment that there's such a cross section of people on the on the train and that for 3 days they're going to be a community. And then he says, what if they were a community of death? What if they were brought together by death which of course is exactly what happened but mm-hmm. they were brought together by the death of daisy armstrong but also by the, the now the death of ratchet so she's got multiple levels going on here with 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 a community that has you know the original crime there because there was no justice with the original crime the community did not come back together so so it comes back together you know to kind of finish it so she's doing some just super interesting things with the form of the detective novel and adding a whole other layer to it and I I guess for me it doesn't play out like a revenge killing because it's all of them, because Cassetti knows what's happening and knows why it's happening. He's a fugitive from justice. He's been tried. Everybody knows he's the killer. I mean, I'm not saying I would personally do it, but just, you know, in terms of the novel, it's very interesting. And I think she's trying to say... That it's justice. And it's even interesting, too, that Hercule Poirot himself does not make the final predicament. He says, here are my two theories. Oh, yeah. right, And then he lets the other guys make the call about which one's the theory.
1: I was thinking about this because it's interesting that he chose, he presented the theory he doesn't believe to be true first. And he lets Constantine say, that's mm. nonsense. So then he gives the second one and then the second one. He's like, but there's always the first one that I gave. Mm-hmm. Um, and
2: the first one is the original um, theory. Well, it's what was supposed to happen. If the train hadn't been stopped, this was the way they were setting it up to look like the killer escaped. Right. So, in terms of the detective universe, we don't have an unsolved crime. It is right. solved. Right. There is resolution. We know what the answer is. So, the question of should it have gone to the authorities—that's a—that's a second question.
1: Should justice the this this question about justice is interesting to me. Because there's so many different levels and, and ways that justice can be considered here, you obviously have the part that was is was a just that Cassetti die because of what happened to mm-hmm. Armstrong Daisy Armstrong. That's one question which, which we they
2: interestingly keep saying it's not just because of that. It's he did it to other kids and he would do it to more kids.
1: Okay, so th- okay, so, so there's
2: th- a community protective aspect,
1: right? Then there's the question of, um. Is justice, is, is it, is the fact that Cassetti is brought to justice, does that mean that his killers don't need to be brought to justice?
2: Uh, that's a good point.
1: Like, um, or is it truly an eye for an eye? And is the justice, like, is justice more random? I mean, like, there almost feels like there's this Wild yeah. West factor kind of thing going on with how mm-hmm. justice is brought about. Um, because it's not done through, you know, the legal channels, it's not done through, um it's they take it upon themselves and and in a sense the word of the detective who solves the crime and brings order is i don't want to say it's disregarded but it's not it doesn't play into any justice that the story itself offers at the end and um and again i could come back to that the idea of whether or not um the act of God, the act of providence, part of it plays into it because in a way that like, is she saying that's random too? Like that's random. And so, or, or, or is, is Poirot essentially ignoring that part of it? And, uh, I don't know. I find that that part very interesting. And like the idea of, um, the levels of justice.
2: It is interesting. I actually think that it's important that he does confront them with yeah. what they've done. And then essentially absolves them of it. Yeah, he does. Which is different than if their original plan worked out. So for the rest of their lives, they're like going to be like, is someone going to figure mm-hmm. this out? You know. But, but there's a sense of, of safety for them now. It's all out in the open, and he absolves them of it.
1: Right, but is that right? Oh, I don't know. I'm going to say yes.
2: I think that's an incredibly difficult question. And, and here's some of the reasons why I think it's difficult. When you talk about the Wild West aspect. So... In in countries where there cannot be justice found in the court system, you have a lot of this vigilante stuff, but not like I'm just an angry person who is victimized, so I'm going to go and attack my, you know, the person who, who hurt me. It's much more instances where you actually see, I mean, I know of cases like this in, in some third world countries where there's no justice, so much corruption, where the community will come together and will just take care of things on their own. Especially, I, can, I actually know of a case, I should not say, I don't know of a case, this is entirely <laughs> fictional, but in a country where someone in a community was hurting children, and the people in the community found out about it, and on their own they took care of it. And I have wrestled with a long time about whether or not that was justice, and I kind of think it is, because it raises the question of what is justice when you have a corrupt system right. that cannot give you justice? Is it... Isn't it still sort of justice that the community itself rises up and takes care of some of these threats? And historically speaking, that kind of thing has happened all through history.
1: There are a lot of references in the book, too, to not trusting the Yugoslav police and things like that. Yes. So she definitely creates this sense of uh, imbalance or lack
0: and, of trust. And I think
2: you also have the World War I element here as well because the world community came together to dispose of a threat in World War One, And this, so you have all kinds of questions there with the Treaty yeah. of Versailles. Of what is justice versus what is vengeance? So I mean, like the world culture at that moment is asking these same kinds of questions. But isn't
1: it possible that it could be just that they took matters into their own hands, but also just that they should still be punished for it?
2: Oh wow, I don't know. That's above my pay grade.
0: That wouldn't, Tim. You're a philosophy (laughs) professor. Well, you were. I was. I mean.
2: You're the resident philosopher of this show.
0: In some ways, that is one of the most common, and I think that is one of the most common Christian responses to systemic injustices is, it what is, is, is? Um, it's civil disobedience. And I know it's Thoreau that comes up with that, but I think it's a very, very Christian kind of response. It says on the one hand, we respect the state's right to bear the sword. On the other hand, we think that the state must be disobeyed because it's corrupt, it's unjust on some level. And so we will pay the price. But if you do that, don't you we'll need to pay the price right, okay. for um, the civil disobedience because we reject the law but, obey, but, but respect the authority in some ways, how it goes.
1: Wendell Berry has a really fascinating essay on this.
0: Okay, you yeah. Sorry, I right. said that again, Tim. I think we are. You guys are kind of blanking out every once in a while, and then you'll kind of speed up and catch back up. So I wonder if that's what just happened. Should I just should I just back go up of, all the way to the beginning?
1: No, 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 no. Finish the very end of what um, you were
0: saying. Stop kidding S- civil me. Civil disobedience. <laughs> Is basically acknowledging two things, that the state has the right to bear the sword, and so it's a legitimate authority in some way. But on the other hand, it's also acknowledging there's something illegitimate and corrupt happening in this particular situation. And so um, when Martin Luther King practices civil disobedience, he also accepts the penalty of that civil disobedience. So he doesn't just march and then run away when the police show up. He marches.
1: You have to be he willing willingly to accept accepts the,
0: consequences. the the consequences, and this is what what Gandhi advocated for. Also,
1: but that's so that's my question though. Shouldn't these people have been if you know, been willing to accept the consequences of well, their own I, behavior, even if it brought justice about to 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 the Armstrong situation? What I
0: took Poirot doing by not announcing. Um by kind of giving them an opportunity to say, yeah, that's what happened. I felt like he was saying, if you admit to this, you are also giving me the opportunity to pronounce the verdict over you.
2: Yeah, it it felt like a confession.
0: It did. And I felt like if they would have But then he retires. He does retire from but I think if the people I think if the people, if the twelve murderers uh let's not call them murders if the 12 people who killed cassetti had not admitted it my hunch is that um would have said here's what you did and i'm telling the yugoslav police but because they admitted it in some way they willingly kind of like offered their risks wrists to the manacle to the to the um handcuffs and said, "We will accept the penalty that's given to us." Now, I recognize we're stepping into gray area because they were—they had constructed this whole thing to not get caught.
1: Right. 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 I guess, and like the other question is, why do they have to kill him? I well, mean,
2: well, they say it's because they're protecting other children.
1: I know, but they could have. Why couldn't they have captured him, bound him? Brought him to the
0: authorities.
2: Oh, but I thought he I don't remember the plot point. Was he not tried?
0: Um
1: But but if but but bring new evidence. I mean I don't know. Maybe I'm overthinking. Well no, that
2: would be double jeopardy. He wouldn't be able to be charged twice for the same crime. But I'm not remembering some of our readers are probably remembering the plot point better. I can't remember the plot point about the Armstrong case. Did I I thought he escaped. No, or I no, think he got a did, or that, maybe there was some corruption in his got Yeah. yeah. Was he found not guilty? What what happened there? I don't even remember. Yeah, I
0: think he just had a court case yeah, and they found just not didn't guilty. they just didn't convict him from some lack of view. Oh, it was a wasn't it a hung jury?
2: All right. I'm going to look it up.
0: So,
1: I mean, I, I guess I, my I, for the sake of conversation, I'm saying it's possible there could be other alternatives besides Stabbing the guy 12 times on a train.
0: <laughs> but David, wouldn't – if? okay, if they did that, if they mm-hmm. caught him, bound him, threw him in a cellar somewhere where he continued to live out his days in an ad hoc jail, would you have considered that just? Or did his de- – was his uh, death part of what made it just?
2: All right. Y'all were right. He, does, he gets off on okay. a technicality.
1: Does justice, does, does, I mean, these yeah. are complicated questions about justice. You're asking me right there, my friend. Um, it, does it make it, has justice been served if, if he, he dies because he killed someone else? I I mean, are we also told to love our enemies? I, don't, I mean, it's that's yeah. complicated. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I mean yes, exactly. Things are on a, on a, on a Which is why on, this is interesting. They're on multiple the story levels. I mean, I, you know, we all three of us are someone who believes in a spiritual reality, mm-hmm. right? And so, you know, I thought it was interesting that you used the phrase be willing to pay the price because of course, you know, having the religious beliefs that I do, I believe that they are going to pay the price. And not and just I'm not talking about in the next life, right. I'm talking about right now. Like to take a life inflicts a wound on your own soul. So no matter how just it is or isn't, even an even to kill someone in self-defense wounds your own soul. This doesn't have anything to do with whether or not you sin. This is just that to take a life is such no a doubt. serious thing. It, it leaves its mark on you. Um and and, uh, and and we see that in psychology cases, you know, even if somebody's completely justified, even an, an executioner yeah. for the state, there's a there's something that happens. And in fact, I was thinking about how a there's lot a
1: documentary of on
0: that.
2: modern executions, they do the multiple, the multiple thing just like them so that what the executioner doesn't know. They don't know which one actually is the one that killed them. Like with lethal injection, they'll do multiple ones. And you don't know if you're the one that gave the deadly blow. And they're doing that. For the executioner, right. right, to protect him so they don't have to live with the weight of taking a life. So they have inflicted a wound on their own soul. It's not like these people have gotten away scot-free and it's all hunky-dory and it's neat and, and tidy. But they're already so wounded. That's the, I mean that's the weird thing. Like how do you get over the death of a child and a right. whole family destroyed and this ripple effect on all these people? De- I mean, they're all going to be living with these wounds one way or another. And
0: is the wound – well, I will make an assertion. I do think that they, what they did was justice, albeit it was vigilante justice. Um, I'm not advocating that uh, our listeners take justice into their own (laughs) hands. I do think that we're dealing with a situation in which the state,
1: Except when it comes to
0: the <laughs> Cups that are improperly. Well,
2: weapons. and the Oxford comma. We I do mean, have, we have, to have to have
0: some have level depart. of decorum. I yeah. do think that they Seriously. practiced the
2: Oxford comma is worth killing vigilante and
0: justice. And I do think they were acting rightly. I think, though, I think to be in full compliance. <laughs> oh, gosh, how do I say this? I kind of think they should have confessed it. Or they... Gosh, I don't know. Now I'm, like, now I'm having doubts about that. Yeah, there's so many layers, layers going on here
1: that I think...
2: I don't know what the moral yeah. answer is. I, I just think in terms of what Christy has created, I think we're supposed to find the yeah. ending and satisfying.
0: Yeah, and I think it's satisfying. <laughs> I'd
1: love to know from our listeners if they think it's satisfying.
2: Well, you know, I'm reminded about the fact that the two detective novels we have chosen both end in um, our detective making a gut call, mm-hmm, kind of taking mm-hmm. matters into their own hands. Right. With these things. And and some of our readers were not happy about the ending of of Murder Must Advertise. They were dissatisfied. I wonder if they're having the same feeling here with with or have we now conditioned
1: them to question the nature of justice altogether.
2: I know. Right. Although this I don't know, this ending to me feels different than Murder Must Advertise. First of all, I think we saw Lord Peter in that book troubled over what was the right thing to do uh, and and. And then he weeps afterwards. Like he, he's yeah. There's not really an see. internal life. Yeah. Here we don't see a... yeah. We don't see any of that with with him. It's just a he solves the mental puzzle. The whole thing is just a mental puzzle, and he solves it.
1: One thing I'll be interested to see in the movie is does Kenneth Branagh yeah, offer what's... some oh, internal yeah. you know dialogue? Any kind of because my understanding turmoil.
2: is that the David Suchet version of this, the actor himself, because of his own deep religious beliefs, changed the ending. Um, and, and has, uh, has the detective making a long speech about, you know, what is justice and he gets, he, he makes it a more nuanced ending than this.
1: Does he tell, does he give them up in <sighs> yeah. the original? I don't know that I haven't seen that movie. Okay. And...
2: I'm going to Google it while y'all talk about this because we looked at this up the other day and it was really interesting.
0: The Tim, do you movie. remember? Uh, that's no, no, no. I didn't Cause see cause the version. I saw the 1974 version. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. The Suchet one was in the 90s, was in it? Uh, 80s or 90s, I think. And hes I think he's kind of like the most famous contemporary actor, even though I think he's no longer alive, to play that role.
1: No, Suchet's still alive, I believe. Uh, some people might recognize David Suchet as the voice of Aslan in the the radio drama uh, no Narnia kidding. series that like focused on the family radio... Th- Theater
0: did. Yeah. Can I, this is a total Um, tangent. It's just like what I'm doing today. My apologies. There is a little video and since we're going to talk about Shakespeare in a couple of weeks, maybe it's not so much of a tangent. There's a series of videos that you can watch them on YouTube called Acting Shakespeare with the Royal Shakespeare Theater in London. This is about like the best several hours of, like watching pleasure that anyone who is interested in Shakespeare will ever have. David Suchet is one of the members of the Royal Shakespeare theater at the time that they filmed this documentary.
1: Hey, Tim, say that again. You kind of, you kind of did that thing you were talking about. Um, Just
0: say that again. David Suchet is one of the members of the Royal Shakespeare theater when they make this, um, it's not even really a documentary. It's like an instructional video with the Royal Shakespeare theater. And David Suchet, who is Jewish has a conversation with Patrick uh, – sorry. Who's the guy who – the famous bald actor? What is what is my problem? Patrick Stewart. Patrick Stewart? Over how to play Shylock in Merchant of Venice. Um, and they have a back and forth about whether Shylock is like an indelibly Jewish character or whether he's just an alien on enemy – kind of like in, in enemy terrain – David Suchet is so wonderful in this little video and it made me want to go back and like watch all of his filmography because he was so, such a delightful interlocutor with, um, during this documentary. So anyway, um, but I have not seen his Poirot, his version of Poirot. I haven't seen, though. I've seen some other things that he's done and he's fantastic.
2: So, so so this movie version was actually 2010. That's not Not the
0: David Suchet version. Oh, wow. Yes, no I'm kidding. reading it
2: right now. And so um he has sympathy with the conspirators, but says justice requires that they be delivered no over to the police kidding. and gives them a speech about the importance of law, accuses them of being a bunch of anarchists. Uh Arbuthnot draws a pistol on Pro Rao, intending to kill him and blaming it on the assassin theory, right? Well, in- I will
1: say to make a movie out of this. You have to give it some more than what she gives us. True. Because it's very yeah, much right, just him sitting right. around.
2: <laughs> no, that's. And, then, and I'm curious what this new movie's going to do. Because it is. It doesn't have a big chase scene. You're not building up to a scene, right? So at least this does that. He pulls the gun. Mary Debenham can, can, can says, you know, convinces him not to do that. Uh, and so uh, uh, Poirot gives in. Uh, and 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 the conspirators are relieved, but at the end, Poirot is barely able to contain his grief as he walks away from the train with tears in his eyes and a rosary in his hand.
0: No way.
2: So in that version, he seems to be a little – his hand is forced there.
1: On a side note, did you know that David Suchet's maternal grandfather was a photographer who was responsible for getting the first images of uh, King Edward and um, uh, hey. w- Wallace Simpson? No Wallace kidding. Simpson. Oh, wow. Yeah.
0: I am fascinated by what you just read, Angelina. I am fascinated by that.
2: Yes. And they have some scenes interspersed with uh, an adulteress getting stoned in Istanbul. And so they're playing with the idea of, like, can you get justice, you know, in these in these Eastern European countries? And so, you know, he wants to turn them over. But is that going to be just so anyway? Yeah. It's very different ending.
1: We'll definitely have to look yeah. out for how they change some things like that in the in mm-hmm. this movie. Because even in the trailer, there's like scenes where it looks like there's a gun involved, and M- M- the char- Mary's character, played by Daisy Ridley, says, "I'm going to sleep right here where all of you are, so you can all see me." So you, I'm sure they're playing up some of the tension of who mm-hmm. did it throughout, and I imagine it's not just uh, Book and Constantine and Kenneth Branagh right. sitting in a room talking. Thinking it's not, it's oh, not and of oh, they may much. use
2: some flashback scenes too. I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if the Davy Armstrong case is a little flashbacky.
1: Because there's like what one scene with actual right Cassetti in this, and Johnny Depp plays the character. He probably didn't come on for
0: six words and a cup of coffee. Okay, I have a question for you guys. Yeah. Does can Agatha Christie let the killers, the twelve killers, walk? Because she was writing this in, what was it, 1930-something? 1930 1934. Four, 1934. As a Brit. Do you think that if she wrote it today as, a, as an American in 2017, all of the facts are the same? Do you think that we would call her unjust if she let them walk today?
2: That's a great question. You know why I think it's a great question? Because we have the issue of what is justice and can justice be found in our institutions running hardcore through our culture right now, right, with a lot of people feeling like you cannot find justice and they're taking it to the streets. So that's a great question. I think this I think you're right. I think this book published right now would be very inflammatory. And I think there would be some big voices talking against it as as promoting anarchy.
0: And I think there'd be another side that would say, Poirot stepped away from the power structure, which is illegitimate, and did the right thing by by endorsing the vigilante justice.
1: Right, right. I mean, he kind of takes the easy way out, though. He doesn't do anything.
2: Yeah, he lets... He defers he lets to Book. his friends. He lets Book make the decision. He gives... Which I almost... So... Part of me wonders if she's bringing up questions of justice or not. Because, I mean, obviously it's there, but our detective seems to be like, I solved the mental puzzle. My job here is done. Now you guys figure out what to do with right. this. I'm out. Right, right. Yeah. He, he punts it. He does punt it.
1: He turns it over to the authority yes. of that particular train. Right. Gosh.
2: So really, it's Bill who makes the decision not to pursue justice, right?
1: But in the, are doing, they're. No,
2: I agree. I Poirot, mean, I, I don't yeah. know that takes he takes the, the moral out responsibility and, yeah. out by, by punting. There
1: is something interesting going on, like his ultimate, his this extreme dependence, this extreme mm-hmm. belief in reason, uh, balanced with his sort of, I don't know, I wouldn't say it's amoral, but he doesn't take a moral stance on it. That doesn't seem to be what's at all.
2: No, I agree with that.
1: But he has this, you know, but for him, reason is the highest good. It seems. And I used to read more Poro stories to to say that for sure but yeah
2: i don't know either
1: i mean he doesn't seem to be like justice yes, for no, daisy ridley like he's not driven by this justice for anybody he's not even like he's not he's not even that interested in like oh he was a bad dude for him it's all about the puzzle right
2: mm-hmm. I think and he, he plays with other people though to the people on the train as he realizes who they are you don't think he's sympathetic to them
0: no i would say he probably is but david also I agree. I think he's sympathetic with the killers, the 12 killers. Don't you think David, his sort of disgust with Cassetti's face is an indication of his, of Poirot's moral stance?
2: Well, and remember that he refused to protect him at the beginning of the book.
1: You mean, be, you mean that there's something within him that caused him to mm-hmm. kind of reject... Mm-hmm cassetti on the surface like he just caught he had something. yeah and caught he's asking
0: book and a couple maybe somebody else what do you think of that man over there and they they all seem to find him singularly reprehensible even though they don't even yet know who he is there's something about cassetti's I mean, guilt and corruption resides in his face
1: yeah i mean sure but does that I mean like as you said, though, everybody feels yeah. that way that there's something wrong with him that doesn't necessarily does that I mean does that necessarily make him is he necessarily making a moral
0: judgment see i I find it easy to say in, in, in instinctively feeling that I think way? that he is kind of making a moral judgment on him. I don't think he's just gathering facts and I, rendering the facts into a verdict. I think that he feels that. Cassetti was a corrupt, unjust villain, and he kind—I don't know—I kind of think that Poirot thinks he got what yeah, he no, deserved by that for sure.
2: I think we're supposed to think I, he got I, what he deserved, and that—that's a separate question from agreed, Dude, the killers get what yeah. they deserve,
1: right? And did Poirot? was his punting, was it weakness, I suppose? Right. Like, was it the wrong decision? Those do seem to be the three central questions. It seems, uh, yes, depending on your, I mean, we could argue about whether it's just to kill someone who's killed someone else, right? That's a Mm
0: -hmm.
1: a high-level moral issue there that we're talking about. So there's that question. Did Cassetti get what was, get what was coming to him? Do the 12 people who killed him, do they get what they deserve? And then, Poro, is Poro, punting mm. the right thing to do those seem to be the three kind of mm-hmm. central questions at the end of the book did y'all
2: feel like he kind of admired
0: yes i did how
2: angelina he's just like he's impressed with them and then when he when he unveils linda arden as you know the mastermind behind the whole thing and you know it's like he wants to applaud her
1: well the last thing the last thing you get after she speaks and she reveals everything and she talks about how Mary and the Colonel, love e- they love each other. That's the last word, right? Then the narr—the internal, the narrator gives. Her voice was wonderful, echoing through the crowded space. That deep, emotional, heart-stirring voice that had thrilled many a New York audience. Poirot looked at his friend. So yeah, he's got. He his response yeah. didn't he? Yeah. He likes the performance. He likes the puzzle. He likes that they put it all together. And then he says, "You are the director of the company." Book, He said, "What do you say?" And then book Clears his throat, says what he says, and then Constantine agrees. And then he says, "Then, having placed my solution before you, yeah. I have the honor to retire from the case." So he he even says, "This is my solution. You chose the other one,
0: right?" Well, w- what did he mean by solution?
2: Yeah, I, didn't I thought read he was it that saying
0: way. there are two paradigms that can properly interpret all of the facts. Uh, oh
1: yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. He's saying I've my, my 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 paradigm is the second one. You have chosen the first one. So like he's keeping yeah. himself in the right corner, essentially. I have I have the right one.
2: Oh, he's. You choose the one that you
1: think is going to be best yeah, for the situation. He's
2: definitely enjoying that I solved the riddle, and and he wants that known. For the record, yeah, I know who did it. Right. But now it's now it's in your court.
1: Of course, I. Well, you got to wonder. You could have had a sequel where he changes his mind, and he goes on the run and tries to catch them all, going all across <laughs> Europe yeah, with his mustache <laughs> wax, and he's yeah.
2: he's in a hovel and a you know youth hostel, and he's tracking them down. <laughs> I wonder too what it's an American crime, and and I don't, especially at that time, I don't know that there would have been an international perception of a lot of confidence in the American justice system. I mean, when you talk about the Wild West, that is to this day still the perception that some people in other countries have, that we're all just a bunch of vigilante justice people. You know, in England, they they talk about, you know... Are we not? They they (laughs) think that everybody's toting a gun in America and we're having shootouts in the streets. I mean, that's just a typical day in Concord, North Carolina. (laughs) Right, I mean... Right outside, I can barely hear you with the gunshots firing right here in the...
1: Post office district. The, the Sounds of Vigilante.
2: <laughs> yes. Get it's going to be the name
1: of my novel, The Sounds of Vigilante.
2: <laughs> but I wonder if that's also an element, it's just like an international distrust of the abilities of the Americans to, to solve things, well, which has another level of, of World War I, because Woodrow Wilson was trying to solve the world's problems at that point.
1: You don't get the sense, that uh, Angelina, that Agatha Christie had, has much of a high opinion of... Um, no, Americans agree. in general, maybe Angelina too.
2: Probably not. I don't <laughs> think she has a high opinion of me, and I don't have a high opinion of Mary. It's just like a, it's a vicious cycle.
1: Um. Well, anyway,
0: I liked it. The it was, story, did like I did it, like it. I. I don't know, you guys. I just. I am not a detective novel guy.
2: Oh man, are we about I, to have another billion fight right now? I. <laughs> Graham, disp- right.
1: Tim's in despair. I, All we right, might, we might you
2: don't love detective stories. Tell me more. And next, T- I'm gonna read books. Graham just you rolled his eyes you How much I don't like this. Graham's
1: over there eating a bit of honey, but he rolled <laughs> his eyes about this one.
0: I okay. I think I have an explanation that comes from deep within my psychology. That I'm reluctant to put out there.
2: Yes, let's make this a Tim therapy session. Oh no, you got to put it out there, brother. I I don't think it's a therapy
0: session. Tim therapy, right now. It's something that is that all. Okay, how about
2: Tim confessional? It's a Tim confessional.
0: It's not even a confessional because it's not something that I feel bad about. I don't feel like it's an erroneous part of my soul. No, you're
2: admitting a character flaw. Come on.
0: Is
1: this going to (laughs) be no, 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 no?
0: I. (laughs) I need a jingle. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. <laughs> no, a
2: confession has to be like Confessions of Tim. Blah, blah, Here's what I'm a little I think what blah,
0: I'm a little worried blah, about blah, is blah. that our listeners our, our listeners yeah, it, will be like <laughs> Yeah, we really have
2: We've really built this up. I'm Come a little
0: on. bit afraid that I'm... Stop! Come stop on, Tim, just push. say it.
1: Come on, Tim <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, Okay, go ahead. Sorry. I'm a little bit afraid that I will get <laughs> – that uh, listeners might try to save my soul after I confess what I'm going to – confess. after I say what I'm going to say.
2: You already ruined it with the bit of honey. <laughs> They're all going to be sitting Peanut Butter Cups. I am now, just
0: God. so suspicious of – oh, gosh – I'll say it this way. I love Socrates because I tend to think of heroism as so often an individual being out of league with a harmonious culture or society and finding something deeply wrong with that harmonious society and saying, no more
2: This literally explains why it you like it. It probably American
0: does. Emotions. But although, although Say that again?
2: This is why we don't like the same kind of books. Oh my gosh, yes. I- I'll Continue. I also
0: say like I love the idea of the like of the Greek polis. I love the idea that harmony of the soul is achieved when society is harmonious like i absolutely think oh that's a beautiful notion it's an absolutely beautiful notion um and i at the same time say man i have seen s- that is such a rare occurrence in human society what is much more common to me is the sort of heroism of the individual standing up and saying this is not right. I'm saying that it's not right. And now I will suffer the consequences of the kind of like thorn, the, the painful thorn that that individual's presence applies into the society.
1: So you then need to read spy I probably, novels. I probably more do. Novels. And I
0: find spy novels much more compelling than detective novels.
2: Okay, here's, here's my response to that. I agree with everything you said. I like detective yeah. stories because they're fairy tales. The, you you know this about me. I mean, I like stories because they present the ideal for our, that our souls long for. Not because I think it's realistic. For me, that's a completely irrelevant question. So, for you to say, for you to say what what uh, uh, Raymond Chandler said that it's not realistic. This isn't how murder works. This isn't how criminals work. Then I would say yes, and also, so what. <laughs> But so yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. I, I don't think that, I don't think you admitted a character flaw. I'm, I'm <laughs> so
0: surprised. I think okay. So <laughs> I am more inclined to say yes to fairy tales and no to detectives because the patina of realism is over detective stories. And I think with fairy tales, the realism from the very first page, it's not a realism story. It is a. It's a story of deeper truth.
2: Um, yeah, I mean, I, I sort of agree with that. I mean, the, the detective novel rises at at a, such a crisis in in our world when when fantasy was so frowned upon. You know, no one's reading fairy tales at that time. That I think it sort of serves the same purpose. But I don't disagree with you.
0: That was remarkably easy. It's a sort of. I was seriously girding <laughs> up for kind of like it's, um, Dante versus the existentialists. Well, no,
2: have you ever heard me said? Oh, come on! Have you ever heard me say this book is so realistic, and that's why I love it? Like I, that's not, that's not how I think. I don't care. Of course, Lord Peter's not real. That's why I love him. If he was real, I would have all these reasons not to like him. And why did I look at David so hard when I said that? Like I was in the—I'm literally in a defensive stance. Like I looked at him and said, "I love Lord Peter," and I like raised my like he's gonna hit me back, and I'm be like, "No, I will defend Lord Peter." Hey,
1: what's my stance right now? I
2: don't, I don't know. My
1: stance is that I literally couldn't care less.
2: Okay.
1: David, really, you don't, I don't care about care corner, this question. So. I'm just sitting here, hand on my. Well, Look, you and I, I think, are in the same boat. There, let's let's Tim.
2: put it this way, Tim. I was more <laughs> upset about the bit of honey comment than I am about the fact that you don't like detective stories. Okay. Like that deep of that's real. I have to eat that. That is a real thing. I can't just, you know, latch on to the ideal of. Have
0: the you bit guys of honey. read.
2: I'm not going to say it's a metaphor for the land of milk and honey.
1: Well, okay, Tim, I want to call you out then, though, because I happen to know that you reviewed this particular book on the Good <laughs> Oh,
2: he's got his phone in yeah. the
1: Yeah. I saw this last right. night. You um you said and I quote an it excellent is an read.
0: Excellent read. But I only gave it four stars because it could only achieve four stars. It cannot get five. No.
1: So no detective story Unless can get five stars. It's a
0: detective story like for me, like crime and punishment. I mean, but I don't in a in a way it's a detective story
1: yeah i i I could see that because I think what you're just saying is that when you're creating categories of of review for something the ultimate the highest level yeah. of starness yeah has to mean something
2: i I also agree yeah, with that. I gave it four stars too I don't yeah. have a problem with that at all i don't i think detective stories are good books I don't think that any of them necessarily would qualify as a great yeah. book I wouldn't put it in the canon but they're f- Super fun, and, and my whole deal is that you no know, one should ever feel bad for liking them.
0: David David no. Tim, <laughs> like
2: they're legitimate no, absolutely not. I I, mean,
0: I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. It just doesn't It does not set my heart on fire. It's I, I could never have a detective story as a heart book. Now, I don't know that I would say the same thing about a spy novel. I might be able to say uh, you know. Some spy novels might be. Do you eh.
2: like hardboiled detective fiction?
0: No. Um, what have you read? Yeah, I I, the read thing, thing is, I kind of stay away from the genre because of the things that I've read, I'm just like, yeah, okay, fine. What's next? Um, what's his name? What's the What's the best known? Is it the Big Chill? The Big Sleep. The Big Sleep. I think I read The Big Sleep.
2: I've read the book like four times. No I've seen the movie no two or
1: three times. Raymond Chandler. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a good book.
2: That's an excellent book. And an awesome movie with Humphrey Bogart.
1: Yet I still would Lauren want to, if I was a filmmaker, I would remake it. What? The, one Luck of the, recast and Lauren it's Bacall. It's one of the few movies that I would, that are old, that are really huh. good that I would want to see remade. Interesting. Because I think they do, there's things they miss from the book that could be.
2: Well, I know, I'm sure that's true.
1: And like. You could do like you could it could make it grungier. Like it needs to be a little grungier than Humphrey Bogart's version.
2: Oh wow. I don't Does it like really that makes me like all the long
0: shadows? Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm.
2: It's just it's so so ominous, you know?
1: No, it's great it's a great movie.
0: But you like a shot I'm at remaking
1: kind of movie. I would have a harder time recasting I would I'd have a harder time recasting like, Humphrey Bogart. Yes, you would. It, but I would probably go with like John Hamm or something. I was say well, John Hamm has Johnny the profile Dick.
0: for it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah,
1: someone like that. I think you could get Lauren Bacall. I think we could find a Lauren Bacall. Like you could. I mean, maybe we could use Lauren Bacall.
2: <laughs> she is still around. I she didn't still know she was still alive. Too, I'm not gonna lie.
1: For, she's like eighty. Well, I mean,
2: as far as I, I know, checked, she yeah. is. Yeah.
1: Graham, Lauren McCall still alive? We need Google a research that. person. Cersei, the Coast Reads research like,
2: team is fully staffed. We are in a room with other people for a change. This is amazing. Yeah, we have like She's doing it. Kirstie, of Lauren grimacing. McCall. Are
0: you guys asking or is Tim
1: asking?
2: Wow. Uh, I'm asking. Wow. Graham said, are you guys asking or is Tim asking? Tim, he is not going to forgive. <laughs> Tell us, Graham, I wonder ever, if we could I have think, kind of like so. a
0: reconciliation session with one of you guys kind of playing the mediator. The mediator.
2: I he, will mediate. He this. wants he
0: to know peanut
2: butter cups and some raisins, and it's gonna be fun.
0: <laughs> he
1: peanut butter cups and raisins? Well, he wants to know if you guys could maybe have a reconciliation session with us as mediators.
2: No, the reason I said raisins is because when Tim said his favorite candy was bit of honey, Graham said, "Let me guess what his second favorite candy is? Raisins." Oh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you want me to just get some grapes and throw them on the sidewalk for you?
2: <laughs> well, made by nature's candy. No reconciliation.
1: He says no reconciliation at this time, okay, but we have we gotta, yet to find out if Lauren Bacall, Bacall is still alive.
0: Oh. Aww. Aww,
2: oh, when man. did she die? Aww, oh, 2004. Wow. Graham, you the bear of bad news. You said that too happy. She's dead. <laughs> Like Tim anyway, is dead to me over this candy issue. Okay. Graham's hurting, y'all. He's hurting.
1: We're gonna we're gonna answer some questions. <laughs> we need a
2: close reads prayer line. Please pray. Can that reconcile Graham and Tim? Can heal by the world time this ep- by the time this episode's <laughs> gone off.
1: Graham won't even remember the conversation anymore.
2: <laughs> no, but but he will not wonder why he's getting boxes of bitter of honey delivered to the oh, office. No, <laughs> that,
0: that is a praise. good idea. That praise. is a good idea. I'm gonna file that one away.
2: <laughs> Graham's face when I said like Oh my god He's wounded, y'all.
0: Speaking I'm Yeah
1: speaking of anarchy this this show. So okay, we've got we're gonna do a Q&A episode next week, but I wanna end with with this final question. I'll give you each a final question. Angelina What as our mystery our detective novel expert a resident detective novel expert. What are some other detective novels other than the two that we've done that you would recommend people jump towards next, jump into next?
2: Well, I was thinking about that this morning. I'm still a big fan just, of Gaudy Night. Let's just
1: flip it over to the back and look, choose one <laughs> of her. I'm still
2: a big fan of Gaudy Night by Dorothy Sayers. I think that's probably, I think that's her best work. Um, and I think I've said... Well, no, not on this podcast. On on two different detective story podcasts I've mentioned that I'm... I, I really like Agatha Christie's. One of her early books called The Secret Adversary. It's not a Miss Marple book or a Hercule Poirot book. It's a... Uh what is it um Tom and Tuppets? Is it Tom? Oh gosh. I'm i don't know.
1: I don't know that one. T-
2: Timmy and Tuppets? Oh man, I'm I'm having a blank. But anyway, it's a it's a guy. Timmy and, and Tuppets?
1: Are you sure that's not a story about a small cat <laughs> and a small rabbit Google that it. wander around Secret in an animated adversary.
2: story? come on, research staff. I shouldn't have to point to you. I just say <laughs> something and look perplexed and I should hear typing right after that. But
1: <laughs> Angelina, I'm going to pay him. Kirsty works with me, not you. Um, Boy, I'm
2: the one <laughs> providing the bit of honey's. So, uh here we go. But uh, uh, but, I really like that one, and it's, it's uh, but
1: you're sure this is not about a small rabbit and a small cat the <laughs> wander sure around the of English nothing. countryside I'm
2: sure of nothing I, th- I think it's Tommy and Tuppence Tommy and Tuppence, Tommy and Tuppence. we got it. so anyway uh yeah it, it it reads a little bit more like a spy novel it's very it's a very different kind of agatha christie book and it's just a it's a favorite of mine. It's a lot of fun,
1: okay um oh Graham, Graham. recommends yes, he wait am I not supposed to say that you recommend it? No I am. He's refusing I'm not. Okay. to He's speak. He's not using words. <laughs> <laughs> he just reminded us that we should hmm. recommend J- Chesterton's Father Brown stories, which are which are that's that is a good point. That's good. My favorite other um Poirot mysteries if you're interested in, in you know more uh stuck up detectives um <laughs> are the first one The Mysterious Affair at Styles. Oh, that's a good one. The Murder of Roger Ackroyd and um
2: well, and then there were and none. And then there were none. That's her yeah. masterpiece. Mm. That's considered to be her masterpiece. Yeah. That's another one that's very interestingly playing on the form. So if you've enjoyed how she draws attention to it and is messing with it, that she does and that in, in that one as well.
1: we are going to be giving away another copy of, we're going to be giving away a copy of And Then There Were None on next week's episode. Nice. So be on the lookout for that.
2: The question will be, what is Tim's favorite I love candy? It.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's for people who are listening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be pretty funny, actually. <laughs>
2: A long list of guesses i'm gonna guess raisins and licorice
1: <laughs> okay uh tim dale cheese here's your final question then what would a mystery story that or a detective story that enters yes. the the tim heartbook pantheon have to include it, it
0: would have to include it as its primary question it would have to be have russian, russian. <laughs> gritty it would have to be driven. a verdict based on conscience not just a verdict based on facts
1: so so um poro's reliance or Affection for reason as
0: this highest. Yeah. I mean, I mean, which is not to say I don't want to denigrate reason. Anyway, I have a feeling at the Circe conference I have, (laughs) well, who knows? I, I am a big fan of, um, the Greeks and the Greeks loved reason, but I also recognize there are some profound, I wouldn't call it shortcomings. There are questions that reason cannot answer. I think so many of those questions are are questions of conscience and imagination. So, yeah, I think conscience, and I'm going to add imagination. A detective story, for me, has to address conscience. And that's part of the reason I keep pointing back to Crime and Punishment. The detective there is just waiting for Raskolnikov's conscience to grab him. And I just find it absolutely—that's what I think is really hmm. thrilling. And I liked that Poirot is so interested in the psychology of the killers. I love that about him. But it seems like that's more of an interest in the detective, but lar- but it's not the. Pr- yeah, oh, yeah, that's not that's not, that's not primarily what he's interested like, in.
2: that I would call Crime and Punishment a detective story. I mean, there's a character that's a detective, but I mean, we all know the guy did it. and
0: But we don't like know why he did treatment it. It's about true. A He's about a guilty
2: conscience. I thought he did but it because he wanted to do But we don't know that. That's crime. what is
0: uncovered. So that's makes the, it. The plot has the killing happening, what, like on oh, page okay. 150 or something like that. But we don't really know fully why he did it. <laughs> spoiler alert, guys! You're the 300... one always. <laughs>
1: I'm just kidding. Two hundred years. Spoiler alert. Angelina immediately. <laughs> you say there's. No... I know because
2: I'm I'm so sensitive. And I was like I'm just gonna follow the David rule, and then there you go. I stepped in the bit of honey right you know, if, in it. <laughs> if it's
1: if it's like before 1990, like. Mm, I'm not good. There's no spoiler alert. Alright,
2: I hear what you're saying. So it's a play on the detective yeah. novel in that we know who did it, and we know who the so we know who the victim is and right. we know who the, the, right. the purpose there's is another, but we don't know what.
0: This is more of a page turner, a contemporary page turner. The secret history by Donna Tartt, which I love that book. The murder happens on page two. Yeah. We know that somebody gets yeah. killed, and I think we know who who did it. It's I think don't, it's
2: don't don't spoil this one. I might it's, really,
0: it. it's a really yeah, fun read. It, right? And it's all about why did it happen? Not who did it and are they going to get away with it? I just find this much more compelling. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and this yep. book was
2: the reverse of that. We know why, but we don't know who or how. No, oh, I can see that.
1: Hmm. All right. Well, thanks for uh, <laughs> another weird episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah, of course. Thanks to everyone who's been listening. Uh, Thanks to our patrons. If you want to learn how you can become a patron, you can go to patreon.com slash close reads. You can uh, donate either two, five, ten, or twenty dollars a month. We have all kinds of good rewards. T shirts are in, so we're sending those out. We got mugs, we've got posters, we've got.
2: Oh, and the t shirts are so soft. I touched them today.
1: Yeah. Um, They are very soft. I wore one to visit Wendell Berry last weekend. Yes. So my secret mission that I was talking about what? is that I went to go interview so Berry last weekend. David. Um, and we're going to be stories
2: and look at the pictures today.
1: We're going to be transcribing that and putting it in as the feature in our winter magazine issue. So that's one of our projects this fall. But yeah, I wore my Close Reads t-shirt on that trip. Very soft, perfect for a long car ride. Um, so if you want to learn how you can help kind of contribute and make sure that this show keeps happening, then you can head over to patreon.com. Pay for Tim's
2: bit of honey addiction. Yeah. Or no, his, his rehab treatment.
1: We're going to Pay for the do shit of a bit of honey that's going to show up at the office. Um, so, yeah, uh, thanks to all our listeners. If you um, would leave a review or a comment on iTunes or Stitcher or Podcast Act or wherever you get your podcast, we would certainly appreciate that. Please make sure you're subscribing to the Close Reads feed. Um, in addition to the, the Podcast Network feed, um, we would – Certainly appreciate that. Um, I guess that is all the business for this week. Angelina, Tim, any final thoughts? Want to say goodbye or anything? No.
0: Nope. <laughs> goodbye, Don't everyone. even want to
1: say goodbye. All right, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> all right, for <laughs> Tim. I
2: can't let him have the last word. Goodbye.
1: <laughs> for Angelina Stanford and for Tim McIntosh, for the, <laughs> the uh, bang-up research team we've got here in the office with us this week.
2: The Bit of Honey support crew.
1: Yeah. Uh, and for all of us here at Cersei, I'm David Kern, saying farewell here on Close Reads on the Cersei Institute Podcast Network. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>
0: Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable.